two elderly women in church were discussing the problem of growing older. And one commented, you know, the worst thing about getting old is your memory starts to go. Uh, I've known you all my life, and I can't think of your name, she said to her friend. (laughs) What is it? The second lady thought for a moment and said, do you need an answer right now? We rely upon our memory for just normal functioning in life. And when you think about it, our memory often lets us down. I mean, it could be for a test, right? We all had that experience, right? Or maybe it's remembering a name, somebody you saw here this morning, right? Or God help us, you are trying to remember an anniversary or birth date of your spouse. (laughs) More important, how do we remember significant events, life lessons, the premier priorities from life? Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. So when Peter writes this, he calls for remembrance, but he qualifies it. And he says it's more than just remembering the facts. And he acknowledges they already know the facts, and they're established in it, but he's saying, I don't want you to be negligent. He wants them to keep on going, to not forget the importance of continuing on as partakers, and we looked at that word in previous weeks. Now, you remember that these believers were influenced by false teachers. It was written to a group of churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. And he was uh, addressing the issue that these kind of pre-Gnostic false teachers were saying, you didn't get everything you needed when you first came into a relationship with God. You need a lot more. You need a lot more experiences. You don't have what it takes. You need extra spiritual power. And Paul is, or Peter is saying, that's not the case. He said in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things. Underline that. All things that pertain to life and godliness. If there's one thing that I think a lot of Christians struggle with today, it's the idea that we go around with this feeling of inadequacy in our relationship with God and maybe in using our gifts or a ministry that God has called us to. The idea that we have all the power we need in the And dwelling Christ seems incongruous given our insecurities, our failures, our fears. So how does one remember that he's given us all that pertains to life and godliness? You know, London cab drivers are the focus of a study in Alzheimer's. 
and it's because of their incredible knowledge of London streets. London cabbies have been required to pass a difficult test that's titled The Knowledge. <laughs> that's pretty daunting. Uh, to prove that they can find 100,000 businesses and landmarks in a labyrinth of tens of thousands of streets. And the series of exams they have to take are touted to be some of the most diff difficult memory tests known in the world. The study called Taxi Brains at University College of London, and it looks at the brains of these cabbies while they're doing these taxi routes, and they're undergoing an MRI scan. The hippocampus region of taxi driver brains play a large role in memory and learning, and it appears to grow larger. Longer that they, the longer that they use the drivers on the job, the more that they're able to remember. In contrast to people with Alzheimer's, where that's shrinking. The point is that practicing the roots repeatedly, putting the knowledge to practice, protects them from forgetting. Well, we often hear practice makes perfect. I'm not making that claim, but I will say this. Practice helps us remember. Maybe that's a reason that there are multiple injunctions in 2 Peter to partake, make every effort, be diligent. 13 times in the New Testament, we read that we're to remember. Now, we can't let familiarity cause us to forget, particularly doing the basics well. Knowledge and practice go hand in hand. John Wooden was the greatest college basketball coach to ever live. He won 10 NCAA championships. That will probably never be approached again. He was a committed follower of Christ. And as a basketball coach, his players would attest, who played for him, that he hammered into them by way of reminder and practice of doing the fundamentals well. It was a key to his success. Peter is admonishing the church to not forget the faithful teaching they heard when they first believed. Peter heard Jesus say, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Peter knew the truth of these words. False teachers would try to trap the child of God with their pernicious teachings. And he's saying, Practice. Walk in the truth. And it's going to help you stave off the influence of the false teachers and not be so forgetful about these things that are so important.
you know, in the cacophony of digital communications, social media, we have to learn to listen to the voice of God. And in listening and remembering eternal truths, listen, we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? You maybe haven't thought about this much. But when you open up your Bible and you're reading about what God wants you to remember, that the Holy Spirit is in that activity. And he's wanting you to remember. Jesus said to his disciples about the Holy Spirit, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter affirms that giving them a reminder is the right thing to do and he's committed to reminding them until he leaves the earth. Do you remember when Peter was given instructions by Jesus about his death? I mean, that'd be a little freaky. If somebody comes up to you and says, I, I know how you're going to die. Like, ooh. That would kind of put it on the forefront of your mind. It wasn't just a wacko. It was the Son of God telling him this is what's going to happen. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter knew that his death would be a violent one. And as he looked at his circumstances, and as he looked at the, the persecutions of Nero continuing to bear down upon believers, he had this sense that his death was near. It's as if Peter is giving churches in modern-day Turkey a, a farewell address. And we see this throughout Scripture. Jacob did it, Moses did it, Joshua did it, Paul did it, Jesus did it. A farewell discourse. It's an opportunity to focus on what's important. And we know that Rome had suffered a great fire in AD 64. And most historians think it might have been an accident. But we also know that Nero utilized that as an opportunity to make Christians scapegoats. And the persecution that followed was ferocious. In some cases, burning them in his gardens by putting tar over them, laying them out and burning them alive. Tradition tells us that Peter died from an edict of Nero, according to Origen, an early church father. He was crucified upside down. If this is the case, and it was before Nero's suicide, that which was on June 9th, A.D. 68, Peter died before that. But even though Peter died, we can be sure of this. 
that he fulfilled the call of God on his life. One author wrote this. I love this. Like all of God's faithful servants, Peter was immortal until his work was done. Isn't that a great way to put it? Nothing could get in the way of Peter accomplishing all that God had had for him. I've told this story before, but it reminds me of my mother had a friend of hers that was driving a car on the West Virginia Hills. And as she, as she was driving, she got in a wreck, and it killed her husband and her mother. And as my mom went to visit her, she's just, you know, trying to soothe her, 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 her guilt. And um, the woman says to my mom, she said, B, if my husband and my mom were sitting in a rocking chair that day, I believe God would have taken them. Good way to put it. Sovereignty of God, still at work. It's the same with our death. Our time on this earth is up to God. And the work that we have for him is protected until we are finished. I don't like when it happens. Hey, just see my dear friend Keith die last month. But God knew. And he finished his work. We don't know our time, but we know death is coming. Let's just make sure we don't have doubts about our purpose and that we utilize the time we have left. Bronnie Ware worked in palliative care and saw many people die. And when questioned about some of the things that patients would say to her, she put together some of the common regrets that people had before they died. Top five were, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends, and I wish that I had let myself be happier. I'm not claiming these are hard and fast biblical principles. I'm just saying there are regrets. But listen, why do we need any regrets? We've got time now. But knowing where there is a time that we're going to die helps us to clear the cobwebs, know what's important. Maybe we need to imagine being on our deathbed. What is it that would be important to us then? And then just backtrack and make sure your life is pointed to that, to those priorities. I guarantee you we're probably going to put on there our walk with God, our service in the kingdom of God, love for our families, our loved ones, that's going to be at the top of the list. I doubt that on that list will be the cumulative value of our possessions or what position we held in our company. At the age of 65, musician John Mellencamp reflected on what's left for him in life. He said, I intend to make my ending good. I'm hoping it's one of those long, lingering deathbed conversions. A lot of people go, oh, I hope I just die quick. Not me. I need to put things right. Well, let me give you a little clue. You don't have to be near your last breath to put things right. 
Now, maybe what he meant is just figuring out what those right things are. I don't know. We can choose a life of abundance in Christ now. And when the Apostle Paul reflected on his ending of life, he clearly put into focus a life that was poured out for the sake of Christ, the reward that heaven offered, and it wasn't about how much stuff I can gain here on earth. He said, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who've loved his appearing. That doesn't sound like a man who needs more time to put things right. I think he had it figured out by then. I gotta tell you, it's really a glorious privilege to be at the bedside of somebody who's dying and he knows the Lord. It's a wonderful thing because nothing else really matters other than love for God, love for people. But they get it then, right? And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter affirms his goal of believers practicing the virtues that he talked about earlier in the chapter and having this rich entrance into heaven. Well, how do I remember these important things? Well, he refers to when he says, you'll be able to recall these things and they'll have to recall them when he's dead. How are they going to do that? Well, we could look at the two epistles he wrote in his own name, and we can look at the book of Mark, which most, most believe that Peter was the main source for that gospel. So to recall these things would assume that there's an accurate record about that. Thank God for the scripture. And he talks about that later on in this chapter. That's there to help us to remember the important things. You know, much has been studied and written about our memory, and it's firmly established that the recall of these events in our head is tainted. It's tainted by our own experiences and understanding. We jump to conclusions. We judge quickly. We seek to defend our own positions, particularly once they're spoken. Uh, that's why the more we keep our mouth shut, maybe the better that we have to let people know. <laughs> we often retell our narratives to put ourselves in a favorable light. The Bible calls this our flesh. We all have it. We can't escape it. But I would just say on an objective level, it's just hard just to get the facts, right? Um, one little clue, you're not going to get it by watching the news. <laughs> right? 
my uh, oldest son got in a wreck that totaled his uh, Toyota 4Runner, driving down the public road after work, and a lady had, um, you know, just was making a turn and ran right into him. So when the cops came, they got witness testimony. Well, when the cops put together the testimony from the witnesses, it was an error. And, uh, you know, they said that uh, Jared came out of a parking lot, which he didn't. Uh, so they basically didn't put the lady at fault. When she was at fault, it was like, dang. Uh, can't even get those facts right. It's hard to get to the truth sometimes. And our flesh, when you add that... Um, it just complicates whether we could ever know the truth. And postmodernists would say, no, you can't. Because we're so tainted. Well, honestly, I think they have their finger on a problem. They just don't have a solution. I mean, if two people can look at the same wreck and give incompatible accounts, how much worse is it when we're emotionally involved, when you're talking about something where we're really hurt in, or where we're, where we're angry, and you're trying to recall events. If you're having a hard time thinking of that, just remember the last argument you got with your spouse, how you're trying to describe reality and how different it is, right? I don't think it's too much to say, if you're an honest soul, that it's a pernicious idea to think that truth is synonymous with what you think or how you feel. God, please help us if that's the case. We need something outside of ourselves to tell us what is true. It's the age-old question that Pilate asked Christ, what is truth? The Apostle Paul answers the question years later by writing in his last epistle, his swan song, that he wanted believers to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. My dear friends, when it's all said and done, our answer of what is our purpose, what is the truth, what our hope is, I can't think of three better words than remember Jesus Christ. We've all got our political views. We can argue about the minutia of doctrine. Collect all the cars and homes and boats you want. Fill your heart's desire but it's Jesus Christ that we are to remember.
He's our tuning fork. He's our standard. He's our life. When we remember Jesus Christ, him and us, us and him, the church shines as a beacon. We're not perfect, but we know we're loved with our flaws. It's not because we have happy stories to tell. Great to me that churches feel it's their job to just give the victorious stories, the healings up on the stage. God, that's awesome when God does that, by the way. Love that. But a lot of people don't get that answer. What are they going to do? A lot of people die of sickness. What are they going to do? A lot of people didn't get the check in the mail. I guess they didn't have enough faith, right? Or maybe God is using suffering, hardship, as a way for us to remember. Our lives lives aren't always so presentable. But we know that because we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Shiro Oguni opened a restaurant in Japan in which all of the waiting staff, get this, all of the waiting staff have dementia. It makes me think of the way people are in the United States when somebody gets the order wrong. (laughs) My day is ruined. I used to be like, God bless my mom. I shouldn't tell her all her like this. She's now dead, but (laughs) she would always complain about her food when somebody brings something, and then she would... Uh, you know, only give like 10% as a tip and finally got to the point where I would never let her pay because I was so embarrassed. (laughs) And I would say, Mom, keep your voice down, all right? (laughs) I love her, but, you know. Anyway, a, a restaurant? The people serving have dementia? It's called the restaurant of mistaken orders. (laughs) Check this out. Boy, do I love that. I think that's one of the most beautiful things. Love and grace. People with dementia. Let me tell you who I identify with in that clip. It's not the customers. I'm the forgetful one. And yet he's still good to me. He's still good to you. We're forgetful. 
There's great benefit to us remembering. When we do, we, we abide. But he remembers you. Roger Zerbe suffered from early onset of Alzheimer's. His wife, Becky, remembers a journal entry he left for her after a particularly troubling bout of forgetfulness. She said, I picked up the journal on my pillow and I read this. He said, honey, today fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. In fact, you and the boys will be gone from me. I will lose you even as I am surrounded by you. And your love. Sorry, just thinking about the Super Bowl and I get emotional. So that I don't want to leave you. I want to grow old in the warmth of memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly and painfully. I'm an idiot for choosing these kinds of illustrations. So she was keeping back tears, and she wrote him back, and she said this. She said, my sweet husband, what will happen when we get to the point where we, you no longer know me? I will continue to go on loving you and caring for you, not because you know me or remember our life, but because I remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and told me he loved me, the look on his face when his children were born. The father he was, the way he loved our extended family. I'll recall his love for writing, hiking, and reading, his tears at sentimental movies, the unexpected witty remarks of how and how he held my hand while we prayed. I cherish the pleasure, obligation, commitment and opportunity to care for you because I remember you. Listen, remembering Christ has rich reward. I don't want you to forget that. And we read about it. The Apostle Paul said, remembering the love of Christ strengthens with power through the spirit in our inner being and Christ dwells in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth, length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we are all filled with the fullness of God. I mean that that is a part of that reward. You know what I'm talking about when you when you sense it you it's more than just words on a page. It's like the the Spirit of God is just wrapping his arms around you and you have that confidence, that love, that sense of security, that safety with him. But we forget him. So remember this. 
will remember you. Because we are bound to him by his covenant.